Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now and now for something completely similar 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 now for something completely similar Hey, 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 kids, welcome to this week's episode of a podcast that you love, and that your parents love, and that your cousins love, and that Brendan loves, because he's on it. I am? Yeah. What do we call this podcast, Brendan? What were they thinking? Nope, that's your other podcast, right? Oh, sorry. How did this get made? No, that's a podcast you listen to, the one you're on. Oh, sorry. Um, hello, President. Close enough. Hello, President. Hello, Vice President. I'm Mike Pence, and welcome to Hello, President. I'm out. <laughs> Please come back. <laughs> I'm Mike Pence, and this is your digital conversion Come, therapy. and we'll have dinner with Mother. Oh, God. Let's not, let's not talk about that, Jason. Yeah. What is this podcast called for real? This podcast is called For Screen and Contra. We did it backwards that time. We did. But that's because this is a special episode. It is. Because this is part of a series we like to call... And now for something... Completely similar. That's right. Ripped off from Monty Python. We took one of their catchphrases. We no. We turned it on its head. No, they ripped we off We repurposed from us. it. And now, we- what are you going to do, John Cleese? You're not listening. you got better shit to do than this. You've probably seen all these movies already. You may even be in some of them. In fact, I'm pretty sure you're in at least three of them. Why are you attacking John Cleese? I love John Cleese. Why are you trying to start fights with celebrities? <laughs> I want you, I, if I'm going to have a fight with a celebrity, I want to have a fight with John Cleese because he's very tall. Okay, fair enough. So I, I, I wouldn't feel bad about being beat up by an old man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are talking about movies that are tangentially related to the BFI Top 100. Sequels, remakes, uh redos reboots yeah. gives us an excuse reimaginings. to watch this stuff and we talk about it and we compare it to the original yeah and talk about other movies as well that we've seen in this context and this week we are talking about the long-awaited sequel to a film that we talked about some time ago called hope and glory yes which was number 90 on the bfi 1987 top was it uh i think it was 89 89 yeah. and for 27 years, people were beating the drum that, damn, this movie needed a sequel. 25 years, yeah. 25 years. Yeah. Well, it was, it was 2014. So 25 years, 89. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I could see the gears going. Well, oh, I thought it was 87, though. Oh, maybe it was 87. I don't know. Anyways, it was a I lot don't of remember years. remember numbers. There was protests across the nation. And yeah. Finally, in 2014, this movie got the sequel. <laughs> finally, John Borman succumbed to That's the pressure. Right. <laughs> and we will be talking this week about Queen and Guntre.
1952, nine years later, I was waiting to be called up to serve two years conscription in the army. I was 18. I hoped they'd forgotten me. After all, we were easy to miss. We lived on an island in the River Thames. You had to ring a bell to reach us. I swam each morning at the same hour because a lovely girl rode past on the towpath. I promised myself that one day I would swim across and meet her. But I never did. Cut! Cut! Get him out of there. Dry him off. Go again. People, dry him off. Cut! Cut! Get him out. They did it over and over until they got it right. Yes, that's right. That opening theme and narration can only mean one thing. We are talking about, as we said, Queen and Country. 2014. On for Screen and Country. Yes, the, the namesake of our podcast. Yep, because we we based our yep. whole name. Uh, On this uh, one tangentially related <laughs> yeah. movie. Daniel Barula, I know, was a huge Queen and Country fan. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? The whole podcast is going to be a play on that name. Yep. Because even though that movie is not on the BFI Top 100, I know they're going to cover it one day. he just watched it and thought, that'd be perfect. <laughs> that'd be perfect. Thank you, Daniel. He was a big David Thewlis fan. That's right. And he got it done. Um, so it's Queen and Country. One thing... Um, Jason, that this movie, this movie made me think about right away is that holy shit, we have so many movies these days that are in a similar vein, as in they're sequels mm. to something that was made a long time ago. We that, have a lot that, of that now. That probably, and despite my uh, my my fun that I had earlier, um, probably didn't have a whole lot of people necessarily clamoring for. But I think John Borman, being that the move, first movie was kind of the story of his childhood. Wanted to tell the story of his uh, story as a young man. And yeah. It's cool because I don't know how many movies we specifically get about this experience, about being a conscript in the British Army after World War II. Mm-hmm. And not only a conscript, but like somebody who doesn't end up actually going uh, to a combat zone that is part of the backbone of the army, as it were. Well, much like Hope and Glory, um, we have another movie here yep. that's related to the war, but we get it from a different point of view from than we're From their own perspective, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this movie is released in 2014. Um, I don't think it has very much of a U.S. release because I'll just say this right now: it makes about 40 grand in the box office. So yeah. I feel like it's a it's primarily released theatrically in the U.K. And it probably um, was released in the U.S. for like an awards consideration thing. I, I would imagine just yeah. a couple of theaters to you know say so, they played. Uh, so we have uh, Callum Turner playing Bill Rohan, yes. our, our little child from the original, but a different actor, obviously. All the actors in this movie are different from the original, except for the role of Bill's father. Played by David Heyman, right, once David again. David Heyman, who they hauled out of the mothballs and coated in 19 layers of makeup and dyed his hair a, a beautiful chestnut brown. Yes. And it, it only goes so far, but you know what? It's nice to see him there. Um, we also have Vanessa Kirby playing Dawn, the role originated by um, uh, Sammy Davis. Hey, babe. 
No, not Dennis Miller. Role <laughs> 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 originated by Sammy Davis in the previous one. And we also have uh, David Thewlis as yes. Bradley. Famously um, of The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know he was in that. He is that tiny role where he, where uh, the dude goes to see uh, Julianne Moore. And uh, he's like sitting there reading a paper. And he's very skinny and has like a pencil-thin mustache. It kind of looks like John Waters. And goes, <laughs> He's like a weird laugh. Um, I, I previously remember him on this podcast as having licked off a lot of chocolate sauce. That's right. He did Life lick off sweet. a lot of chocolate sauce. Also, uh, Lu- Professor Lupin from the Harry Potter films. There you go. We talked about that movie, of course. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we have Richard E. Grant as Major Cross, another uh, British staple. Yes. Uh, we have Caleb Landry Jones playing Percy Hapgood, the best friend of Bill. Uh, Tamsin Egerton as Ophelia, who you mentioned was in the St. Trinian's yes, films. St. Trinian's film, absolutely. Uh, Sinead Cusack as Grace, the mother, so she's been recast. Yes. We mentioned David Hammond plays Clive, the father. Uh, Pat Short as Redmond, the Skyver. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, what is a Skyver, Jason? Well, based on the context of this movie, it's just a person who tries to get through their army service with as little work as possible. Right. And, of course, he's Irish. So, by his very nature, according to this movie, because he's an Irishman, he doesn't want to do any work. So, what I like about Pat Short, who plays the Irish guy, he's fantastic in this. I love him. He's wonderful. But um, his voice and his accent specifically remind me very much of Dermot Morgan, who played Father Ted in the Father Ted TV show, which is a beloved sitcom uh, uh, that I watched as a young lad. Are you sure you're not talking about Dermot Mulroney? No, I am I'm, I'm 100% certain now. What about I'm Dylan not, McDermott? It, well, it might be him. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, there's your cast. There's your cast. So, again, this is a sequel, um, much much in the spirit of Men in Black International, yeah. a sequel that uh, comes many years after the previous yes. film. Yes, it, it's not like, uh-oh, we're going through the Blitz again. Uh, yeah, yeah no. it's like um, it's like um, Jumanji. Like mm. they, did, they did a, I mean, I guess it's t- kind of a remake, but it was kind of a sequel. And I don't know that anybody's d- ever compared this movie to Jumanji before. Well, so good job. I don't know if anyone's talked about this movie That's, before. <laughs> yeah, forty grand at the box office. Yeah, not many people. I don't even think the people that saw it talked about it. But let's get let's get into it. Let's get into Queen and Country. This movie, much like Hope and Glory, doesn't really have a plot. It's very. It's like Dazed and Confused. Yeah, it's exactly like Days of Confused. Uh, Matthew McConaughey shows up at one point. <laughs> All right, British Army, I'm so here. You guys want to buy some weed? <laughs> hey, hey, do you got any conscripts for me to torture? I'm going to go bring some weed back to the base. You guys want to go be racist to a Chinese guy with me? <laughs> That's Mark Wahlberg. Oh. <laughs> that was no, a Vietnamese guy. No, we don't have any uh, conscripts for you to be, for you to torture Matthew McConaughey. Oh. I'll be a lot cooler if you did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we're funny. But yeah, it's it's very uh, you'd almost describe it as slipshod, me as uh, uh, not meandering, but you know what I mean. It's like mm. a it's like a slice of life. Yeah, exactly. It's a life slice. It's it's what this dude's going through when he has to you know answer the call and join up into the army that is in the middle of the Korean War. Korean War. So we follow ah, yes. we, we follow the child Bill from yes. the original Hope and Glory. This is nine years later, as yes. we heard. The Nazis are defeated, but the Koreans remain. Mm. Also, there is a moment where uh, a, a commanding officer says something about the Koreans immediately followed up by, do you think you'd last against the Chinese? And I'm like, that's not the same well, thing. Well, here's the thing, though. Uh, that is accurate because what happened in the Korean War is that the North Koreans started bringing Chinese troops in mm-hmm. to uh, help fight this war. The way it's framed, though, sounds weird. Yes, it does sound weird. <laughs> but Hope and Glory had a little bit more of a plot, I think. Hmm. 
But I think it's also like these two movies are meant to be John Borman's life. Yeah, they're 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 slice of life in that they're basically a collection of little subplots that all kind of jive together to show you this period in this dude's life. Mm-hmm. Because Hope and Glory began as a kid, and this began him as an adult, or a you know, eighteen year old, sure, yeah. eighteen years old, approaching manhood. It is truly a coming of age. And John Borman did say that this movie is about 99.9% accurate of what happened to him. He said everything that happens in this movie happened to him. And it took a great deal of effort to get this movie made. Mm. Number one, probably because there wasn't a whole lot of interest. Like as great as Hope and Glory. I love Hope and Glory. It's a good movie. Um, But I don't think there was a lot of interest. Mm -hmm. Um, And secondly, it was difficult because all these people were real. Mm. So it was like... How are some of these people going to like their representation? And Assuming they're alive or their families. You know? Well, here's the thing. This is why it took him so long to make the movie because he said in an interview I read earlier today, he actually said, like, I basically just had to wait for them to die. <laughs> wait till they're all dead and then I'll tell my story. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's some characters in this movie I'm sure would look at this and be like, oh, is that how it was? Well, the, uh, certainly the sergeants don't come off well. Uh, Master Sergeant uh, Bradley and uh, uh, Digby. But as far as Bradley goes, we'll get into this later, yes. but his character is very, a lot more nuanced yes, absolutely. Um, than he appears on the surface at first. But yeah, let's start. So, so, I mean, this movie, um, we go from a child's perspective on a war to this 18 year old man, uh, just tur- becoming a man going to war. He's still a virgin. Yeah, baby. Loser. He keeps saying he's not. Loser. Yeah. Come on, man. Jeez. Buy a whore. Come on. <laughs> Buy a whore. Get a clue. I mean, in those days, it probably would have been pretty available. I mean, all them soldiers around. Oh, boy. <laughs> but this is still a very young... It's a young person's look at the war. And yes. and you know what movie I thought of while watching this movie? Jarhead? Oh, well, I can see that. Yeah. Um, I thought of Animal House. Oh, yeah. It's very much like... It's kind of their their uh, college experiences being in, in the army. Yeah, it's, it's very, like, sprawling. It's yeah. really... There's a lot of pranks. There's a lot of... It's a comedy. It's, what, it's it a is lot a of it is a comedy. It's um, it's it, it's an example of how... And, and I guess you could argue this. I mean, but it seems like... Because the war's not on anymore. Like, like, World War II is not happening anymore. World War II was a massive, life-changing, earth-shattering situation, mm-hmm. right? The Korean War, while certainly an important conflict, is not that. That war is happening on the other side of the planet. So this is a time in the Army, and, and they're getting conscripts, right? They're still getting conscripts after all this time. So all these guys that have, probably have no interest in joining the Army are being forced to join up as part of the civil service, right? Um, so you've got an Army that is much less maybe disciplined than it would have been otherwise. That's not to say that, you know, that everybody was in perfect discipline in World War II because you were also using conscripts, but, like, there was a very strong moral component to it, a very strong mission um, that maybe doesn't have the same resonance in the Korean War. Again, happening on the other side of the planet, completely different conflict, and we see that come up a bit where uh, one student claims that he's refusing to go to Korea because of something the uh, the sergeant said, of what, what Bill said. That Bill was seducing an officer away from his duty when really he was just kind of laying out what the political situation was. Yeah. Well, and and I, I think that's interesting because you have a generational thing too. You have the, the commanding officers who have been through World War II. That's the thing too. All these guys have all their hardest fuck because they saw the worst of the war. You yeah. Know? They were there. And now they have all these kids that were children during the war that are in the army. And it's, yeah, it's a weird kind of divide between them. Yeah. And they would have seen World War II through, you know, children's eyes. So, of course, they don't have that kind of weight 
with them that these guys have. They didn't watch their friends, you know, cut down on the beaches in Normandy. Yeah, like, and I mean, we have the the probably the least. Not least, but probably like the base level of that with Richard E. Grant's character. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the extreme with Bradley, played yes. by David Thewlis, who David Thewlis, by the way, is amazing oh, in this movie. In this movie yeah. I didn't even know it was him until I looked it up. Like he <laughs> he just and he I think he like probably got like put on some weight for the role. He, yeah, he seemed like um, he, but he was also you know, it was only six years ago. He was you know yeah. he wasn't as young as he was in uh, I mean I'm not uh, saying he wasn't naturally, eating. but it, it does seem like that would be a role that he would put on a little bit of uh, of uh, meat for. He plays that character so well. Bradley is the equivalent of, like, a fighter jet. And what I mean by that is that um, fighter jets are extremely maneuverable, right? And the reason they're so maneuverable is because they are built to be as unstable as their airframes can get away with. So they are always, like, like an incredibly fast maneuverable air fighter is always on the verge of flying apart because it's designed to be like that so it can move so fast. And that is the impression I get from that character. That character is going at full speed, full afterburners at all times. And it's the only way that he can move through the air is that he has to be on the verge of flying apart at all times. One, and, and, and one way that manifests is by his absolute 100% completely literal devotion to the military code, mm-hmm. knowing every single aspect of it and charging officers with every little, you know, possible offense that he finds that they pull. And don't you find like this movie kind of subverts the idea of like a MASH type scenario where you have like that kind of character yes. who they like, you'd have the characters prank them you'd yes. have them you'd have them uh, uh, foil them time after time and there's no like you don't see the outcome of that in to go along with your animal house metaphor yeah. absolutely he's Dean Wormer he's the he's the fucking he's the authority figure that they have to fuck with for the you know th- th- is their nemesis right yeah and it's actually really interesting so as we know so through the movie they fuck with this guy he pisses them off and they come up with a scheme to get him you know kind of fucked over yeah right um. Well, they have yeah, they have it set up where he's gonna cut. They're gonna get him to yell at an NCO, mm-hmm. uh, which is what explain because I uh, n- non commissioned officer. Okay. Well, well, they are NCOs. I should say it is it is improper in the military code for an NCO to berate another NCO in the presence of a private soldier. Right. So, so they organize um, this guy um, Redmond, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Yes. Uh, Redmond to come in to just kind of sneak in yeah. as. Bradley is admonishing Bill. Yes. Um, and, you know, based on his own code, kind of fuck him over because they, they make him uh, make him break one of his rules. Yes. As minor as it is, that's what he lives by. Uh, now, I do want to play the scene. Um, if, you would, if you would care to load it up. Sure. Um, this is the scene uh, where... Uh, so they, they get him to do this, and then immediately after, they take him to Richard E. Grant to talk about um, how he's broken a rule, and this is how Bradley kind of takes everything in. Bradley is guilty? Yes. And teaching them words to write a letter home motivates them to learn to read, sir. You will do as you are ordered. I'm sick to death of your rigid fucking rant, sir. You are nasty, little subversive. You think you're clever, you think you're better than the army. You are vermin, you have infested this center. You are disruptive, rabid, rancid. You have brought to this center! Should I be hearing all this, sir? Section 73, an NCO shall not admonish another NCO in the presence of a private soldier. Are you party to this tawdry affair, Sergeant Rowan? Well, this is a surprise. Admonishing an NCO in the presence of a private soldier. Serious offense. Contrary to good order. 
Do you admit to this, Sergeant Major Bradley? Entrapment, sir. What? <clears throat> Entrapment, sir. Entrapment? Is that covered in the Army Acts? Well, you know it backwards. Is it in here? No, sir. Then guilty. My record is unblemished. I've obeyed the law to the letter, every iota, correct, in every respect. I'm what the Army Act intended a soldier to be. The moral high ground is mine. It's mine, I tell you. I'm what a soldier's supposed to be. The Army is me. I am the Army. I and the Army are indivisible. To a T! You, sir, you fudge and prevaricate, you betray your commissioning, your quest for easement. That is quite enough, Sergeant Major Bradley. You're digging a hole for yourself. Relieved of duties, confined to quarters, pending psychological assessment. So in that scene, we see him uh, uh, kind of coming to a head, basically. He's been dealing with a lot of stuff, and he gets sent to a mental hospital. Uh, for recovery because and and we learn later when um, Bill goes to see him for some reason I guess because Bill feels like he needs to closure yeah some closure with him and we learn that he's got PTSD pretty bad he'd been on the beaches of Normandy and you know he'd probably seen a lot of shit and his throwing himself into his work and being such a hard ass was his way of dealing with that trauma yeah but Bill goes to him looking for some sort of closure or I don't know what but he doesn't give it to him no, <laughs> I have nothing to say to you, basically. I, I will say this. In a lesser movie, either one of these two things would have happened. Either we get him getting his comeuppance. Because in that moment, when I'm first watching this movie and I yeah. see that scene that we just watched, I'm kind of cheering. Mm. I'm kind of like, yeah, the stiff got him. Like, you know, showed him what's what. Um, but then, of course, as soon as he starts to have his breakdown, you realize, oh, this is more complicated. Yeah. So a uh, lesser movie, you leave it at that. It's funny. He gets kicked yeah. out. Secondly, um, in a lesser movie, if they still went the serious route, you'd have some kind of forgiveness there, yeah. which they don't go for the easy forgiveness no. because why would that person forgive them? And apparently and, this, again, this happened yeah. to it, him. It's clear this character is not that sort of person. Uh, and this character is legit. Like, like when I think of this sort of character in other war movies, I think of something even like, like Amanda Brothers with David Schwimmer's character who is this hard ass, but he hasn't actually been to combat. So he feels like he's a pretender mm-hmm. um, to this attitude. But this dude, as awful as he can be to his troops, he came by this legit. He was there. He was in Normandy. He, he fought through the war. So he's not, you know, he's not just some asshole. He's a guy who's been through some shit, and this is how he deals with it. This is how he keeps his sanity. And what, what's a little more interesting to me, and they don't do much with it, but uh, what's interesting is so after they get him sent away, they're sitting in his office, and they're there with, uh, with Private Redmond, right? Yeah. And they tell Redmond to, like, clean the place up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. And that to me implies like, so they got rid of this guy, but in getting rid of this guy, they sort of made a devil's bargain because now they don't have anybody who has the authority to make like Redmond do what he's supposed to do and other people, because there's clearly a lot of people that are in the army at this time that have no desire to be there and are willing to do whatever they can, the Skyvers, to skirt around uh, regulations and rules. So yeah, yeah. now they've got that to deal with. Now, obviously, we don't see much more with that, um, but... I thought that was an interesting point raised. And Redmond is a Skyver. And Jason, let, let's hear about the Skyver lifestyle, sure, shall yeah, he, we? He lays it all out for us. He does. Where did you get all these snaps? Lad the Naffy owed me a favor. Yours is a murky world, Redmond. You're my hero, Redmond. Skyver par excellence. Yeah, well, 
Skyven is not a skill acquired overnight. You're only in two years. Skyven takes longer than that. But you show promise, Percy. How would you define your complete Skyver? Really? Put it like this. Army training brainwashes you. When you're told to get out of a trench and walk towards a machine gun that's shooting at you, you do it. Skyver will find a reason to stay in the trench. You gotta be brave to be that cowardly. Wow. And he's so profound, hmm? Yeah. And how do you get on top of the offices? Find a weak spot. Like this young doc. Insecure, easy to con. I can get a chitty off him, no bother. Everyone in the army is trying to get away with something. Find out what it is and play on it. Except our Bradley, a tough nut. He lives by the letter of the law. No weak spot? No chink in the armor? Not sure. Could be rage. He's a tinderbox. I'll get him in the end. No. We'll do it together. And Redmond ultimately is right. He says that he's a tinderbox. Rage will be the thing that gets him. And that is what gets him, because they, they make him go off and yeah. while Redmond watches. Neat. Yeah, and, and another thing is, like, you know, he's kind of the Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption character yeah. in the sense that I feel like he could get anything. Yeah, he's been there a while. He knows what's going on. He's yeah. got his connections. He knows how to avoid work. Absolutely. He fakes those knee problems. Yeah. Uh, and, his, just, and his arm problems so he can't salute properly. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like uh, in, in the scene he says, uh, you know, I've got knee problems. I can't lift that. And they're like, well, lift without your knees then. <laughs> and he awkwardly, stiffly yeah. tries to. <laughs> These empty boxes he doesn't want to carry because of his bad knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he's kind of, yeah, again, he's another one that's kind of a complicated character because I think you you start out kind of chuckling along with him, mm. but then you're like, all right, guy, like yeah. do some work here. Well, that's it because when it comes down to it, so another subplot we have in the movie is is where another guy that they're fucking with is the uh, the uh, Sergeant Digby who's like kind of the, the regimental sergeant and he's a hard ass too. And so to fuck with him, uh, they uh, steal his. They steal the regimental clock. Now, before we go any further with the clock storyline, I just have to say my favorite line in this whole movie yes. is when somebody says, I swear on my mother's life. Yes. And he says, I don't give a fuck about your mother's life. She deserves to die for giving birth to you. That is the harshest line I have heard, I think, in all the movies we've watched. And it was <laughs> wonderful. I was like, oh, shit. You got served, brother. But he loves his clock. Talk about yeah. his clock. Well, they set that up early, don't they? Yeah. The, the, the clock is like, it's, it's a historical thing. And you know how they army loves tradition and his history right so this thing was given to a predecessor of his during i believe the boer war the second boer war probably yeah so this thing had been around for you know 50 50 to 75 years at this point again animal house this reminds me of the horse yes absolutely when they when they steal the horse and they accidentally kill the horse yes <laughs> well thankfully they don't accidentally kill this clock thank god no but uh they they steal it and they enlist uh, redmond to help them yeah and uh, in a brilliant stroke, uh, Percy mails it away. He mails it, uh, uh, so it goes out in the Royal Mail truck. And they, uh, fucking that sergeant, man, he goes nuts. He, like, turns the base upside down looking for this clock. Uh, it's, it's like fucking, uh, what's it, Robert Duvall looking for his surfboard in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, <laughs> but more of the sense that you think he might kill someone. Yeah, no, he is clearly very passionate about this damn clock and wants it back. I, I do... Um... I do like how they set it up, how they show you without 
having that scene, how much he loves that clock. Because there's an early scene where he comes in and he's raging and raving about where the, where his clock is, mm. and then the guy comes in and says, "Oh, it's uh, it's, it's over been there taken for, cleaning. for cleaning." Yeah, and he kind of like gets kind of embarrassed and walks out and says, yeah. "Well, very good. Clean this place up that I yeah. just tore apart." Exactly. <laughs> so we, we we see that passion initially where it was a very innocent thing, and then it actually disappears and he goes fucking crazy. And even that results in something I didn't expect. Because it, it's it's again it's set up like an Animal House gag. Yeah. It's set up like a mash or you, Hogan's. You, did Heroes. you not expect the consequences of it? Not as far as it went. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it was like it, it felt like a Colonel Clink thing, where like you know, yeah, exactly. Just, it was a bunch of hijinks. That, oh, they got the best of them. And yeah, it, it seems like hijinks until we get to uh, when the finally the the clock is retrieved uh, and he Percy is charged with uh, stealing this clock. Yeah. And, he receives like six months in military Mil- prison, that, and then that, that's that's how his story ends. Yeah, yeah. After so, one other bit we have here is so is, is the women of this movie. We haven't really talked much about the women of this movie. Well, I've got some qualms. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we'll go through it. So okay. obviously, we got Percy and we got Bill. Percy and Bill, two eighteen-year-old boys. They're soldiers. They have dicks that will not stop being hard. So I, they I, need to take care of it. I do want to say though, before we move on to the women, that Percy, the actor that plays Percy, yes. uh, uh, Caleb Landry Jones, he is also fantastic. He's great. He is. I don't know. He's man. got this energy. He's got this energy. He's got this look of like almost craziness about yeah. him at certain points in the movie. And I was like, is he supposed to be drunk or strung out or something? Because he just looks ragged. Yeah, he has like a, but there's like a certain like, there's an energy around oh, him yeah. that's not around anyone else. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's got that, that smile, man. He's got that like yeah. kind of half smile, that smugness, you know, confidence in him. He reminded me a little bit of Rami, of Rami Malek. Oh, really? Just the, his general mm. look. Um, also, maybe a little bit of the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, he's, he's clear. He's the guy that's leading the charge of them to go out and get laid and so they they go out to an opera or not an opera but like a quartet concert which as you know in the 40s or in the 50s was where you went to get laid um and while there they catch the eye well he catch percy catches the eyes of some girls that are also there to see the concert but meanwhile bill is staring at the back of a girl in front of him uh, and he is enchanted by this girl but he misses his chance to uh, uh make contact with her yeah so instead he goes and hangs out with percy and they meet this girl what's her name sophia Sophie, I think Sophia, is one of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not from the Golden Girls. Maybe, maybe though. I mean, the age might be right. <laughs> I'm, oh, okay. So you're saying? So I'm saying Sophia moved the to the states and lost her British accent. Oh, okay. And so gave you're birth the, to uh, B. Arthur. The character yes. is uh, the character from also the Golden Sophia Girls. from Golden Girls. Yeah. Okay, sure. Mm. I'll go with it. So yeah, so Percy starts going out with this Sophia, and Bill is. There's another girl there, but Bill's not really interested because he's interested in this other girl, which mm. who he calls Ophelia. He calls her Ophelia because he's you know deep and literate and uh, yeah. loves his Shakespeare. And so he's kind of trying to find her, and eventually, like randomly, sees her walking down the street while he's out with the girls and Percy at a at like a diner or something, and he kind of follows her along, and they go to her aunt's house, which is just down the street. And have a little drinky poo, and it's clear that that there's more to this girl than he thinks because she's in this nice house, like a transformer. And, yeah, exactly. She says that she's you know she goes to Oxford, but she's having a bit of a nervous breakdown, so she's at her aunt's place recovering or whatever. And it's clear she's been having some emotional issues, yeah, uh, dealing with suicidal thoughts and and possible even suicide attempts. I think are at least vaguely implied. And this is another um, this is another character um, where the direction they took I did not expect. Yeah, because Percy takes it from the very classical perspective of like, oh, this girl, he's like interested in her, she's hot. You mean Bill? 
Bill. Yeah, oh. Bill. Bill. Absolutely. Bill yeah. takes an interest in this girl. He, he, you know, she's attractive and uh, she seems mysterious and everything. And then he finds out that she's got emotional problems. And he eventually gets to the point where he's like, yeah, no, I'll save you. I, I love you. I'll save you. And she, by the end of their kind of like relationship in the movie, she's like, no, you, <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> I've got to deal with this, you know, like. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't exist for you to save. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I'm not, I'm not just a trophy here to be saved by a man. I, yeah. I've got real shit I've got to deal with. Which I thought that was cool. However, there's another thing later on. I, I, it bothered me that her character... Okay, so her character obviously has emotional issues. Yes. She has mental health issues. For sure. But it bothered me that that was the end of her story. Yeah, it was kind of like that was pretty much what she was about. She was rich, and we knew she was rich because yeah. we saw her show up with a, uh, a car and a driver yeah. to Bill's house in the country. And then we later see that she's at like a coronation. She's at the actual coronation. She shows up about an hour before the coronation to visit Bill, and they're like, oh, you want to stay and watch the coronation with us? And she's like, no, I got to go. And then they're watching the coronation, and there she is at, at actually there. Yeah. So. She's clearly somebody that's uh, somebody, and she's given. She does. We. She is named at some point, and she has Helen. a very fancy uh, British Helen, name. Helen Montague. Montague, yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly, we remember the Montagues. Uh, another great Shakespearean reference. I mean, man, yeah. Borman loves Shakespeare. There's another line in this at some point too that's a reference to Shakespeare. Um, but the, but yeah, and then and then she's essentially in the hospital. Um, she gets taken to the hospital, and Bill visits her, and she you know he tries to kiss her. While she's on the bed, which I think was kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, and then she's like, I'm an invalid. Like, what are you doing? And then, uh, you know. You can't she, say no she, at that she, point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She tells him. Um, it's, like, it's like fucking Garp, man. Did you see fucking the world according to Garp? No. Uh, Garp is born because his, his mom is a nurse and she has sex with a, uh, a patient who can't speak. Uh, the only thing you can actually say is, Garp. That's uh, disturbing. Yeah, it's a great movie. Check it out. Robin Williams, guys. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Robin Williams, underrated, very funny. Wow, really? Yeah, See, yeah. I never saw him as a comedy guy. You know, and he, I mean, when, we, when you think of Robin Williams, you think of One Hour Photo, but when it comes down to it, uh, I don't know if you've seen this movie called Mrs. Doubtfire, but he's very funny. See, so is he in comedies like Death to Smoochie? Because that's, the, yep. I think, the number one like top popular comedy. He is, of, if you look close, he yeah. plays the, uh, the the dude in the dinosaur suit. See, everywhere I no, go. No, he doesn't. That's Edward Norton. He plays the, the mad magician. Yeah. Well, yeah. everywhere I go, Jason, everyone's like, Death to Smoochie this, Death, Death to Smoochie that. It was the worst haircut for uh, the John Stewart War, I think, in movie history in that movie. So that's why it's famous. I forgot he was in that. <laughs> and Sarah Silverman is also in there. Or Sarah Silver person. Catherine Keener's in it. Sure. Sarah I think Sarah Silverman's Silverman in it. I'm pretty sure she's in it too. All right, we'll let her find out. This is very important. This is very important. We need to know the cath of death to Smoochie. Also, one of the last movies, if not the last movie, of the great late uh, Vincent Chiavelli. I'm Spinner. I'm sure you are. That's what he said. Catherine Keener, yes, she was in it. Danny DeVito, John Stewart, Harvey Firestein, Pam Ferris. Oh, Harvey Firestein was in it. Kill the rhino. Danny Woodburn, who was the little person from Seinfeld, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't think she was Vincent in Vincent Chiavelli. What movie am I thinking of? I don't know. Was she, I think was you're she thinking in Big of Greg, Daddy? I think you're thinking of the show Greg the Bunny. No, no, but was she in Big Daddy, maybe? with Because uh, John Stewart was I, in that, too, with Adam know. Sandler? Sure. Folks, write in. I mean, I could look it up by an MDB, but... Fuck it, right? We've it wasted too, far too much far time much on too this. Far too much time, yeah. What were we talking about before we got into Death the Smoochie? Uh, it doesn't matter. We're talking about Death the Smoochie, which is a fantastic movie that nobody saw. Yeah, so 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 she yeah, basically she's a mysterious character. Yeah, so she basically exists but, to to have mental health issues, yes. and then Bill 
gets uh, is very sad, yeah. and uh, Sophie fucks it out of him. One, yeah, exactly. Fucks him back to health. Fucks him back to health. Brings him back to reality. Which I think, I don't know. That seemed kind of. Uh. I mean, would I have sex in a hospital while I went to see a girl that I was in love with with somebody else that was my friend's girlfriend? In that specific situation, maybe. But it's not even just that scene. It's just the way he frames it. Yeah. It's like, oh, it, she has mental health issues yeah. and she's she her life is on the downstairs. Poor Bill. Poor Bill, yes. Like, Poor Bill. He just needs to get laid and he can't get it there. So Sophia takes the reins, so mm. to speak, and uh, uh, gives Bill what he needs. Um, but then, we, then, of course, we have the conversation later where, where Percy comes to him and is like, you know, what are you doing, bud? What are you doing? And then uh, we've got that great line. And he's like, oh, it's okay. They, they, they get into it. They have like a fight. And he throws Percy off him. Percy's in the bed. And he goes, ah. He goes, it's all right. I mean, I guess we're even. I fucked your sister. Yeah. Because they come to visit. And yes, fucked. Uh, who has two kids? Yes. Well, we, we in Hope and Glory, um, she, she ended up becoming pregnant. So mm. we, we did see that. And she gave birth at the near the end of the yes. movie. Let's actually, can we play a clip of Dawn? So this is uh, the sister yeah. of Bill. Um, just talking to Bill and, um, also was she per- a stepsister or a full, well, that's sister? okay. Let's listen to the clip first. So she's talking to Bill and Percy about, uh, if they have girlfriends back home. So you guys got girlfriends? Without a dream. Sort of, but she lives in a hospital. I live in a camp. We have nowhere to go. We end up in the wet grass. Making love? Conditions are never quite right. What? I would do it anywhere at your age. Well, younger than you. Wet grass, in the rain, against a wall. And look what happened. You got knocked up at 17 and shamed your family. <laughs> it was the war. Do it quick before a bomb drops on your head. It was urgent. Billy. Oh. Yeah. You, Billy boy? You got a girl? Kind of. Yeah, you'll meet her tomorrow. Tomorrow? What does that kind of mean? It's complicated. <laughs> she's in love with someone else, and oh. she's turning Bill inside out. And she's really old. What? Old like me? Not as old as that. Okay, we have to get into a number of things. First thing I do want to say, um, again, I feel like a broken record, but Vanessa Kirby, amazing. Oh, yeah, no, wonderful. Like, uh, she handles this role perfectly. She's, again, a spark of life in this movie. Yeah. And it, if, honestly, if I'm going to say anyone is kind of a weak link, he's fine, but Callum Turner is like, whatever, as, as Bill. Billy, mean? He's yeah, fine. Well, but he's he's the heart of the movie. He's kind of the straight man of it yeah, all. Yeah, no, he's, okay, he's good then. But he's, He does the trick, yeah. But Vanessa Kirby. He does look like that kid. I thought they, they did a good choice in picking <laughs> somebody true. who kind of physically resembled the, the kid that he was playing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, of course, as you as you all know from Hobbs and Shaw. And from The Crown as Princess <laughs> Margaret. Uh, playing the sister, originally played by Sammy Davis in the last movie. Hey, babe. Not Dennis Miller. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess they're the same person. <laughs> Dennis Miller with blackface has been has been Sammy Davis oh, Jr. this whole time. Oh, no. <laughs> I gotcha, babe. So, under my so under my Number one thumb. question. Number one question. Are they full siblings? Okay, so we're talking about Don, Bill and Dawn. Yes. Because I had that She's question. She's a very horny sister. She, when he arrives, she jumps on him yeah. and is kissing him all over his face. Yeah. 
And yes, it is very, and not only that, but like we just, the scene we just listened to. Yes. Um, they're dancing very close. Very close. She is holding his chest. She's holding his face. Their faces are closer than our and faces And then Percy are right gets now. in there too. Now to be fair, they're all drinking. And when you're drinking, you often get close into somebody else's face. I w- would not have been surprised if that had been a threesome. Yeah, exactly. It, I, uh, okay, 40s I, British threesome. It was okay back then. Can I tell you the truth? Sure. When, when Bill ends up having sex with Sophie later on, I thought he was going to, when she said, oh, you know, I've took, taken your virginity. I thought he was going to be like, I already lost it to Dawn. Yeah, well, no, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, now, me, now I, to be fair, I don't have Leave a sister. Do you have a sister? Not anymore. Well, neither do I. No, Not I don't. Ha- I'm an only child. Okay, all right. I don't have a sister either. I have a brother. He's a lovely man, but uh, I never had a sister, so I don't, I don't know what the relationship the sister and the brother have, but it seems like they have a very, very physical, close relationship, and maybe there's nothing wrong with that. Listen... I'm very uncomfortable by close brother sister relationships. <laughs> very uncomfortable. I have no problem if siblings like siblings are close. Siblings can be close. Siblings can be close. But this level in this movie disturbed me to a great de- great detail. What about it? Was it Angelina Jolie's brother? Was that the one? Oh, that- don't even <laughs> don't no don't even bring that up. I was that was no it's not okay. <laughs> You grew up with that person. <laughs> but okay, but here's the other question I have because we get a c- couple of little references to Mac. Remember in Hope and Glory yes. when Grace almost went off with Mac but yes. then ended up kind of settling? Yeah. Um, is she Mac's daughter? Did we ever allude to that in the original film? Uh, the, well, I don't know. That wouldn't jive, would it, with time? I mean, Unless it was uh, the no, war. it could have because the thing with Mac was... was she almost ended up with Mac before the war. That was the thing oh. in Hope and Glory. You have to go closer. Oh. So I don't know. Maybe that's that. Maybe. They didn't end up like fucking or anything. But I mean, and then there's they, a scene they'd still where, be half brother and sister, which is still, I think, illegal. Well, and you're still growing up together. Yeah. As brother and sister. I mean, you're right there. Jason, get up. <laughs> I don't have a sister, so I can't There's say. also a scene where Thank there's goodness. also another one where they're kind of sitting down and she's got like her hand on his leg and yeah. stuff. I'm just like, it's a very, very close relationship and I don't care for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on the side of propriety and say that it's all it's all kosher. They're just really close. Don't like it. Don't like it. Not don't gonna like do it. it. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't be prudent. No new taxes, read my lips. <laughs> But I do, I, I do think she is great, though. Yeah, no, she is fantastic. And, and and okay, so we talked, we kind of talked about this quietly while the clip was going. You didn't hear that because yeah. future Brendan cut that out. Yes. He edited it to perfection. That's right. You don't want to hear our bullshit. Now you get to hear the one hundred percent polished diamond version of it. Yeah. So uh, uh, no. So she doesn't have an accent. No. In Hope and Glory. She has an accent. Yes. She has a very distinct British accent. Yes. Vanessa Kirby is British. If she's not, she can certainly do one as she played Prince Margaret. So she can definitely do RP. I'm going to assume. But but my, my assumption is that because she went to Canada, uh, she lost her accent uh, because we tend to do that to people. We turn them into uh, Canadians. That's why she says A in a boot all the time. And Vanessa Kirby is from London. London. Yeah. Well, which is the most cosmopolitan in London. They probably have the weakest accent of all the people. But I mean, they're it, not like from the Midlands or something. But I mean, it's interesting because at first I was like, oh, because I, I didn't even clue in that it was Vanessa Kirby and that she's British. And I just kind of went, oh, that she just felt like she couldn't do a British accent. And weirdly, John Borman was okay with it. But was she a proto Madonna. 
a reverse Madonna. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I guess if we're going with the whole thing where she went to Canada, but they don't even like. I'm surprised there's no like just off like line to kind of sit, you know explain that or and, and why didn't she say something like yeah I got my snowshoes when I went to eat my poutine. I'm glad her Canadian accent wasn't bad. <laughs> hey guys, you want to have a fucking drink, eh? What? You so, guys want some fucking Keats? So Jason, butter's milk, yeah. Rate, rate that Canadian accent. How do you think it is? Eh, it's it, she's actually sounds like uh, Catherine. Um, God damn it! There's a Canadian Zena Jones. There's a Canadian comedian named Catherine O'Hara. something. No, uh, she's she's from Canada, but she lives in England, and she is on a lot of panel shows uh, like. Eight out of ten cats and Catherine Bates. No, uh, but anyways, I follow her on Twitter. Catherine, if you're out there, let us know if you're a <laughs> listener. Uh, you're wonderful, and uh, I love you, and uh, I okay. respect you, Jason. It was starting to get weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's great. She's wonderful. But but seriously, like like it feels yeah. like this actress was doing a version of her. Okay, which would be great because, like I say, she's well known in Britain. So I, I don't know if I'm I completely um I'm I don't know if I'm completely into the whole thing where Dawn and Percy kind of hook up. Yeah, like I get it, they hook up is one thing, but then they're kind of together. At well, the end of the movie? yeah, okay. So then that's the thing that and it kind of annoys me about this movie is that we so for some reason Bill is the one that has to take him to the prison. Which is nice for him, for Percy. Uh, to take Percy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they, w- when they're on the train, they briefly get to meet up with uh, um, Dawn and her children. And she comes in, gives him, a, you know, gives Bill a bit of a feel up because he, you know, as brother, that's what he's do. And then goes and makes out with Percy for a bit and tells Percy that she's not going back to Canada, mm-hmm. implying that there's more to come once he gets out of prison. Um, namely so, him namely him so bill uh drops him off at prison and says goodbye and whatever and that's the last we hear of it yeah we don't know anything else that happens this movie actually ends very abruptly where i don't mind that though because it's like a snapshot yeah yeah exactly it's a snapshot it's like life is sweet in that way yeah it's just kind of a snapshot of a time in a person's life and we don't kinda, necessarily get every detail but it, it did kind of remind me of a michael e movie yeah even happy go lucky in the way it was framed yeah and, and we had the comedy we had it was you know a colorful movie yeah um Mike well, Lee, remake this movie. Well, what's the thing that's bothering you? Just the just the fact that they don't kind of tie it together. Well, there's just just that there's nothing after that. Like we don't know anything of their of their fate and whether they you know got together, stayed together, or anything. Yeah. And again, I know that's not what this movie necessarily is. We're not going to have the Animal House ending of, and they did all they did this and lived happily ever after. It would have been great if John Borman just said "fuck it" and at the end you just hear Animal House, or he just Louie Louie starts playing Animal House. Yeah, big. It ends with a parade. Ends with some hardcore eighties synth, even though it was made in, in, in uh, nineteen twenty fourteen. Yeah, Bill and Percy just start running up the beach. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, the we talked about how the movie kind of goes between comedy and drama. Uh, again, it, it kind of reminds me of last week's movie, Alfie, in that yeah. you see the kind of stuff you'd expect in this movie, and then you get the results after. Yeah. You get the actual real world. Uh, it's it's I would say it's a dramedy in the great sense because yeah. there is a lot of comedy, but it is grounded by realism. Um, and there's and and I don't know. I'm like of two minds about the female characters because on one side I really like Dawn. I think she's a strong female character. Um, on the other side, there's some things that just kind of don't really line up for me. 
Um, I don't like how the way that the John, John Borman shows that Bill is falling in love with mm. Ophelia or Helen, I guess we learn, um, is because he's staring at her and she's talking to him and her voice starts drowning out and he's just looking at her body. Yeah, exactly. He's told, she's like explaining her like history and like her life and he yeah. just completely zones out and yeah, it's, it's weird. And I'm like, I, but I'm wondering also, is that John Borman's attempt to be like, well, he's young and that's all he can think about. And that this was not... Not as important to him, maybe, as he thought at the time. Yeah. It was, it was not as deep as he thought it was. Because there's another scene later that kind of subverts that, where Percy is, like, getting down with Sophie. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, oh, why can't we skip all the unnecessary steps? And she's like, okay, let's fuck. Yeah, let's do it right here in the grass. And he's baby. all of a sudden like, whoa, uh, Yeah, Mr. Prude all of a sudden doesn't want to fuck in public. Yeah. And if he had a fucked, guess who would have seen him? Sergeant Major Bradley. That was a weird bit. Yeah, he just had to be walking through the woods. <laughs> spying on all the soldiers. Um, what do you think about that we see the family again? I mean, it was, it was nice to see the old guy. Yeah. Well, it wasn't him. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I meant the dad. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Clive. Yeah. I do want to play a little scene with the family because we have the uh, the grandfather. Um, we have the gra- we have the grandfather um, still in this movie. Obviously a different actor because yes. I'm assuming that man is dead. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I so, don't know why. Weird way to put that. <laughs> I hope that old actor has passed. Um, but he's he's uh, he's very funny, and they're watching the coronation, and we. St- I, li- I like how Clive, like David Heyman playing the dad, is still like a patriotic, uh, patriotic type guy, and they're watching um, the coronation because the king has died. Yes, and that's made that's made kind of a big deal too. Remember when well, they tell it was well, no, but I mean it's ma- it's kind of weaved into the story yes. because when they tell Bradley, um, well, they, they, first off, early in the movie they mentioned that the king is sick. Yeah, and Bradley and is like, there would, be, there would be a memorandum if yeah, that was happening. exactly. And then when they tell Bradley he dies, he doesn't believe them. No. He's like, the flag would be at half Well, and, and the funny thing is, the reason that they think the queen, or that the king has died, is that they hear a cook, uh, there's a cook walking along, and he's whistling uh, where, with a song that we're all the queen's men or something. Yeah. Anyways, that's enough for them to think, oh, well, clearly the, the king has died, because this guy's whistling this song. And of course, Bradley rightfully is like, what is fucking wrong with you, you idiots? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. But then we see him as he turns around and he's looking at the flag at one point and we see the flag lowered to half mast. And that's also one of the first times we see him, we see the cracks be yes. below the foundation because you could see him like his mouth is quivering, yes. like he's starting to kind yeah. of react. The idea that Bill got the best of him is is putting chinks in his armor. Yeah, and I mean, and, and there's also like a changing of the guard mm. because he sees the king as like a father figure. And well, all of a sudden it, it's a mother figure. Is it? Is it... Uh, so anyway, having gone through that wormhole, um, yeah. I do just want to listen to the cor- the scene of them listening to the uh, them watching the coronation on TV after much struggling with uh, with the antenna. Yes, yeah, so those were the old days when you had to worry about the antenna, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? We're entering a new Elizabethan age. God forbid. First Elizabeth murdered her cousin, persecuted Catholics, and died a virgin. Oh, shut up, Dada. Oh, that poor, sweet girl. She's Dawn's age. She has to take on a life of duty. She never have to draw a curtain, or draw a bath, or squeeze her own toothpaste. <laughs> Our queen deserves a few small comforts to help her through it. God bless her. I agree. It's all quite lovely. 
they're all Germans. The Kaiser was Queen Victoria's nephew. Now they call themselves Windsor. Windsor, my ass. Windsor is a brown soup or a way to knot your tie. It is not a royal line. Have some respect, George. There's no medieval mumbo-jumbo. They call it on God to anoint them. The divine right of kings. Tradition. One thing I do like, uh, I do like here is that when the family's all still alive, hmm. I feel like in a lot of these movies you'd be like, "Oh, the dad died since the last one, the mom died, the grandpa died." No, they're all still there. No, they actually made it all through, and they make great. it through this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I, I play. I reason I played that for the most part. I'm not gonna lie, was the grandfather saying they're all Germans. Yeah, and uh, which they were. I mean, that's the thing is that there was much interbreeding between the German and and um, Windsor, English. A, a tie. It's not a, what were they called before? I'm trying to think of. Germanic Hollenzollerin or fucking it wasn't the Habsburgs but they were all fucking related they were all German inbred fucking people heroes in a Habsburg that's the thing when you think about World War One and you think about all the people that fought in World War One the leaders of those nations or the monarchs at least were all at least friends if not straight up cousins and mm-hmm. you know it was nuts it's like a big family row that resulted in 65 million dead or whatever yeah Fuck you, World War One. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna go on the record. Fuck you, World War One. I'm gonna go on record on the record and say something. You say e- it. I'm gonna say something equally controversial, All Jason. Right. Um, Fuck World War Two. I think I think people died in World War Two. They did needlessly. Needlessly, absolutely. It was. It was I'm gonna say this, Jason. I'm gonna add something else. Okay. I think too many lives were lost during the Vietnam War. You're right. There were too many lives lost on both sides. Jason, I'm going to say something else. Say it, Brendan. Make Preach America it, great again. Uh, I don't know if that's what we were going to talk about. Uh, queen and country. First signal of fascism, hearkening back to a mythical past. Antifa. So if you're not Antifa, you're Aoife. Epa. Epanema. The girl from Ipanema. I don't know what's going on. I don't like Donald Trump. Let's move on. Uh, me neither. <laughs> no, Jay- a, I'm going to say it. But Donald Jason, Trump, just, he's a real jerk. But off the air, you were just telling me that you would have voted for him had you been uh, Well, Look, look, look. Uh, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this movie. No, but Jason, you, you're, you brought Queen your red country. hat and everything. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I don't wear that anymore. Why do you have a, bi- a basement Biden shirt on? Oh, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, <laughs> don't help me. Don't help me as an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i just like that we get a little family reunion and it's also like interesting because it's kind of framed the way hope and glory was yeah. we don't spend all the time with the family but it's framed like that shows up in the second half that house that they went to um and the that half, is and wonderful and john borman apparently actually grew up there yeah but that island is not very big like it's no. it's amazing the idea of living on a house in the thames i'd love to know what his parents did like how did they get that house well, and and just or think about and, and just think about this though. It, it, literally, they explain it in the movie. This is a house where you have to ring a bell. Someone has to get in a boat and come over yeah. and get you and go back. I mean, theoretically, you could just jump in and swim over, but sure. I and mean, the Thames, though. But yes, the Thames. And that's the other thing. He swims in the fucking Thames. Now, I don't know if this is up. Maybe this is upriver of London, and it's not too bad. But like, the Thames is one of the scummiest, dirtiest rivers in the world. I mean. That's where diphtheria was born. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, but it certainly loved it. Dip diphtheria? Yeah, and plague. I was reading a book about the plague recently, and man, England was dirty. English, what was up with that? What were you thinking? Why were you throwing shit into the streets until the 1800s, you fucking assholes? I mean, what are you Did do? you know, Brendan, here's a fun fact. 
You it's mean a fact an interesting that, tidbit? No, no, it's a fun fact. No, it's, it's an a, interesting tidbit. It's a fact that's fun. You have interesting tidbits on your other podcast. This is a fun fact. No, fun facts are on Stephen Ezzy's podcast. Oh, I don't want to infringe upon their copyright. Yeah. This is a fact that is uh, interesting. A, a fun tidbit. A fun tidbit, exactly. Um, that in uh, medieval uh, England... I'm with you. If uh, you were to dispose of your chamber pot, which was full of your shit and your piss and maybe your cum, I don't know. I'm not judging. Um, if you were disposing of the chamber pot, you had to, the only law about it was, is that if you were going to throw it out in the street, you had to say, look out below three times before you threw it out the window. So that's part of the reason why, like, like, and this was literally up until the 1800s that you just dumped your shit in the street and the street was always covered in shit. It was always covered in horse shit. It was always covered in blood and guts from butchers. Like, it was a terrible place to be, and I, uh, I um, am judging all you people in the past for being so dirty. It's weird that diseases happen. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like, like, and they actually figured out in, uh, I think it was in mid-1800s England, when uh, there was a diphtheria outbreak, they figured out, like, oh, right, maybe the water is the problem. <laughs> well, Jason, um, before we go into your bits and bobs... Uh, and there's probably not many left. I think we've talked about most of them. Well, are there any like big things that you want to... Well, I'm going to go through my notes and we'll find out when we do bits and bobs. Okay. But before okay. we do bits okay. and bobs, Brendan, you have something to say. Go ahead. I do. We have to take a brief break. <gasps> so we're going to we're gonna hear some age of radio stuff. As, as Robert Evans might say, are we about to listen to products and services? Maybe. We will be right back. Age of radio... It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back, Jason. And we now are back, motherfucker. And now it's time for Bits and Bobs. Bits and Bobs. It's bits. Jason and Brendan's Bits and Bobs. But bits and it's bobs. mostly Jason's Bits and Bobs. We got some bits. We got some bobs. Bobs and bits. Bits and bobs. Bits, bobs, bob. Bits, bit, bob, bob, bit, bob, bob, bob. Bits, bobs. Isn't it convenient that a, uh, a fellow that went on to be a filmmaker lived near a movie studio? Isn't that convenient? Well, isn't that convenient? Sounds like the well, work of Satan. <laughs> uh, wow, that must have sucked. Like having to like dry that guy off and put him into a fresh, dry Nazi uniform every time he got shot in the water. Are we talking about the film shoot? Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I mean, oh, I would think that they would have like six different actors lined up in in um, Nazi uniforms to go do it because you only see the guy from the back, right? Well, We're we shooting don't know. it from the shore. We don't. We don't know if this guy is like a, a main actor in this production. That's true. I mean, uh, maybe he was. I don't know. I'd like to know what that movie was. I, can, when this movie started, it felt a bit like Stripes to me. Um, can we talk about the straight up Animal House scene, which is uh, the ladder in the girls' dorm? Yes. <laughs> And they do better than John Belushi did because they get a titty, but it's, but just as creepy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, they, they straight up are like peeping on uh, on uh, the dorm where the nurses live. Couple because, peeping toms there. Yeah, yeah. They didn't bring a camera with them. They just oh. got on each other's shoulders. And so uh, Bill was the one that got to see Sophie's uh, nipple, her beautiful pink nipple, <laughs> as he describes it, pressed against the window. And then, which which oh, of course, in real life, I have seen once. I was at McDonald's. 
and I was waiting to get my burger. And I, sir, I, all of a sudden, I heard the cashier go, titties. And I looked over, and there was a young lady who had uh, pressed her bare breasts up against the window mm. and then left a bit of an imprint when she walked away. Just for fun? Yeah. Yeah, I must have been. I think she might have been drunk because it's McDonald's, but... Oh, oh, in the, Oh, I got you. You were in the McDonald's. I was in the McDonald's. I thought the cashier pointed out titties and, like, pointed to, like, an apartment no, building she, across the she street. She said it in a way that was almost as if Mariah was at the counter being like, oh, titties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, this movie felt a little bit like Stripes initially, like we were going to have like a military comedy. And there is that, but it's obviously not like totally Stripes. Were they making them eat curry for torture? Yes. Well, I don't know if he was doing it for torture, but I think clearly the master sergeant or whatever had been in India and he had come to appreciate the very hot curries of India, as many British people did. Because to this day, like if you go to England, one of the most famous, like if you go out and go drinking after you're done drinking, you're going to go get a curry. Like, that's just what you do. Okay. Or a vindaloo or something like that, right? And so that's that's very much a part of English culture because of their time in India. And this dude had spent some time in India, and he loved the fucking curry. And I think he enjoyed the torture of making all the uh, young conscripts eat this ridiculously hot curry. Because they are they are in torture. They are, like, guzzling water. And somebody actually says to them, like, you'd be better off with some milk. Yeah. Which is true. <laughs> Which Guys, is if true. something is spicy, drink milk. Drink milk. Yeah. Also, um... Uh, so what you're saying basically is like in India, yeah. um, it's curry number one. Yep. Uh, the the film The Love Guru number two. No, absolutely, it is biggest their, exports. After Gandhi, it is the biggest film in Indian history. Yeah, I mean, probably surpassed at this point. I mean, to be fair, Indians make lots of their own movies, uh, uh, which are often three hour epics with lots of musical numbers. What's crazy about The Love Guru is that it's not racist in any way whatsoever. And you heard that here first from Brendan Wall. You can, you can quote that on your Twitter. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, this army for them is not serious. Like, like they are forced to do this, right? They're they are conscripted into this job and they don't take it seriously. And, and what do you expect from a conscript army? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Did you did you enjoy the Rashomon reference? I did. Yeah, that was nice. It was nice. Clearly, obviously, John Borman loves movies, right? Mm-hmm. He makes oh, movies for a living. There's so a few references to movies. He pulls yeah. out Rashomon, which is really you know, and is fascinating too, because this is a movie made by a guy who is a member of a nation that they had defeated in a war a mere seven years before. Like this, you know. And and what is that? What is that movie ultimately about? Different points of view. Different points of view. And 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 it's interesting because she points out uh, Ophelia. Ophelia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she points out that uh, even though the perspective of what happened in that movie is different every time, the common factor is that that girl is raped yeah. each time. And, uh, yeah, that, I mean... It's a, well, it's interesting. It's yeah. almost like, you know, despite, you know, looking at it, and you can look at it any different mm-hmm. way you want. That's the common truth. There's still a victim Did you ever see this. Run, Lola, Run? I did. That's a great movie, too. Yeah, I don't remember very much, but I, I but did But a similar idea of, like, a yeah. different perspective. Well, that's more like uh, sliding doors, I guess, where it's like mm. it could go a different way because of a different thing that happened. I mean, done well in Rashomon and Run, Lola, Run, perfected yeah. in the Dennis Quaid film Vantage Point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid, I haven't seen that one. Matthew Fox, Forrest Whitaker, clearly not just there for a paycheck, putting no, their all into certainly it. Certainly not. Bits and bobs. We're back to bits and bobs. So we were when doing that. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we had a little tangent okay. though, with Dennis Quaid. <laughs> now, Randy Quaid. There's the real Quaid. Can we get him on? I think we might actually be able to. <laughs> or wherever th- he's hidden. I don't know if he trusts anything online. We should, we should try to get Randy Quaid on our podcast. And we won't. We literally won't ask him about any of the Star Killer stuff. We'll just uh, get him to like be like, did you see uh, Carry On Up the Kyber? And would you like to talk about it? <gasps> 
What is your take on Julie Christie's character in the go-between? Absolutely. Do you think she do, was a villain? Do you think the past is a foreign nation? They do things differently there. And he's like, let me tell you something about foreign country. And then we cut him <laughs> off. Oh, there we go. Um, I When they go to the concert, uh, I really like that there's a haze in the air because it makes sense of the era because everybody smokes. But at the same time, I don't see anybody smoking in that scene. So where the fuck is the haze coming from? The haze code. And it's not like they weren't, you know, it's not like they were trying to like historically revise this movie. There's plenty of smoking in this movie. Oh, yeah, lots. So but, much so uh, that we get a cigarette story, which I really like. Oh, yes, yes. That is the scene where... Bill is telling about how how he first had a cigarette. He first had a cigarette, yeah. But he got sent a care package from home, which had a jar of jam in it. And then the jar burst and soaked the cigarettes in the jam. I also think it's funny that we have another, much like Hope and Glory, we have a big scene revolving around, around jam. jam. Yeah, absolutely. Right? <laughs> and so it, it soaks the cigarettes in jam. And so they take the cigarettes out of the pack and they put them on the stove to dry them out. And then everybody smokes these jam-flavored cigarettes. Which probably is a tasted great probably were pretty damn good as far as cigarettes go and he, so, so as I mean, a former cigarette smoker i could tell you i would love to smoke a jam soaked cigarette well and, and he says uh bill says you know my first cigarette was a as a you know tasted like strawberries mm-hmm. so like of course he would keep smoking absolutely <laughs> get that delicious memory yeah and i and you know what i will say that as a smoker who has occasionally gotten a cigarette that's gotten wet or covered in something i have definitely tried to dry the cigarette and smoke it i'll admit that did it work oh yeah okay Although a dry cigarette smokes really fast. Uh, oh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Redman is basically this movie, Sergeant Bilko. Are you familiar with Sergeant Bilko? No. So Sergeant Bilko was a character played by Phil Silvers back in uh, the day. And he had a show, and it was basically, he was an army sergeant. Now, obviously, Redman's a private. but Wait, he was, is that the movie that they remade with, was with Steve, Steve Martin? Martin yes, okay. uh, where Bilko's basically this layabout. He is definitely the definition of a, of, of a skyver. He is doing everything he can to avoid work, but Bilko also is constantly running uh, get-rich-quick schemes. He runs, like, a secret casino on the base. <laughs> you know, he's just the labor. And, and obviously not to the cartoonish level, but this guy definitely reminds me of Sergeant Bilko. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the 95 Sergeant Bilko with Steve Martin, not bad. Not bad. It was uh, it was fun. Did you uh, catch... Also, Down Periscope with uh, Kelsey Grammer from oh. that era. Did not see McKelman, uh, McKelman. Did not McHale's see McHale's Navy. Navy. Yeah. yeah. But Bruce Willis or Bruce Willis, Bruce Campbell is in that one, and I want to see Bruce Campbell in anything. Um, have you seen Bruce Campbell lately, Brendan? He's got a sweet mustache. I have not, but you should look him up. Redmond, did you catch the line of casual racism by no. Redmond? Okay, I'm just going to show you. I'm not going to say the word, but let's just say he uses a certain word for black people. Um, the N word, a different one. Okay, but somebody says uh, somebody says the uh, D word. Hold on, Jason. I'm going <laughs> to tell you. Somebody says, uh, you know, he said, you, they're trying to figure out what's going on with the clock. Yeah. And they said, oh, oh, Percy just said you were doing his brasses. You were you were yeah. shining his brasses. And he says, I never did anyone's brasses. I get uh, to do my brasses. I've He's... never heard that term before that you just pointed to me on your tablet. Really? Yeah. Oh, I've heard it. I've heard it. Wow. Yeah. You learn something new every day, don't you, Brendan? I, I just thought that was interesting that he casually tossed that in there. But but that is exactly what would have happened. And I, I but of course I'm always disappointed hearing racism from an Irish guy because it's like you're basically the worst of the white people at this point. You but, and the Italians. Okay, but you know what what makes it weirder to me though? If that had been a consistent with each character mm. being a little you know whatever of the time, 
fine, whatever. But to have that one is a weird, isolated incident yeah. of, of random racism. Yeah, it's know? like, can you imagine watching like, uh, well, yeah, honestly, it's like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that one scene where Tarantino just goes on a ra- a rant <laughs> with the N word, and I'm like, what is this doing here? The, um, the storage. <laughs> yeah. But you see a movie like, uh, like it's like if you watch Django, mm. and in one scene, <laughs> DiCaprio dropped the end bomb, and then you don't hear it any other time. You're like, well, that was odd. <laughs> like, why did they just do it for that one? Yeah, you'd think, especially at the time, they would probably use that word much more freely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Pulp Fiction, but that scene is still weird to me. <laughs> and, it, and it makes you wonder a lot about Tarantino himself. Well, he, he can say it, Jason. He grew up with black people. That's right. He's, he's pretty much a black guy. Yeah. They gave him permission, and when you get permission, that means you could do anything you want as a white person. Bits and bobs. You got to be brave to be that cowardly. We heard that line. That's a good line. Really like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Percy wants to murder Bradley. And at first, I laughed. Yeah, and it was l- a funny joke. And then later, he says it about three more times. Yeah, no, I said, he, he's serious. I said, is he going to murder him? He wants him to. But, but he can't because he's too busy. You got to steal that clock to fuck with Digby. Steal too. that clock. Yeah, so I thought it was weird how Bill just kind of found Ophelia slash Ellen. Like, like he says, I'm going to go find her. And then the next scene we see, he's found her and he's there with her. Like, he, like it just, and then eventually gets into a fight with the tutor. There's a creepy tinge in this movie. Yeah, it's, it's very stalkery, but also to some extent, like, I imagine in that time you had to be kind of stalkery just because you didn't have the digital communication of today. Like literally at one point he, she, she says, Oh, do you have a phone number? And he's like, Oh, we don't have a phone. Nobody I know has a phone. Yeah. You know? And in 1952, yeah, that was absolutely so possible that nobody you knew had a phone. Well, and I mean, when they have a TV, it's because he just went and got one, yeah. probably put his life savings. Yeah, into probably. It. Yeah, exactly. He, because he had that arm money. He was and it to took them it. like an hour to set up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they watched Rashomon. That was cool. He fights her toe tutor, right? And then he... Um, they have some stage combat. Yeah, he flips him over the shoulder, yeah. and they have a good good, uh, good route. That, that's when Bill... That's when Bill fight... Um, that's when Bill is talking to Ophelia. Yeah. And she says, oh, my... It's, well, it's her lover, isn't it? The guy that's coming over? Yeah, because she makes reference to uh, being in, like, this bad relationship, and then I guess this guy helped get her out of it, and so she immediately attaches herself to him. Yeah, and so, but then she says, like, will you be here to help me get out of this one? Yeah. But then yeah. because of this fight, she is immediately drawn to, you know, the guy who her lover or whatever. And that doesn't that breakup doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And when he's later talking to it, to Percy about it, he says he says what happened. And she says, and he, well, he says, I won the fight, but lost the girl. Mm hmm. So be it. Uh, yeah. So but she does show up, visit them. She has a driver. She's super rich, clearly. Um and she's at the coronation. I mentioned the weird relationship with the sister. They sent Bradley to psych because he had PTSD. Uh, he fucks Percy's girl while he's sad. Um, and I guess they're an item. Yeah. After that. Yeah, they kind of uh, have a thing going. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like, we've pretty much talked about um, everything in this movie. We've pretty much talked about everything in Queen and Country. So, Jason, we'll just skip right past this Let's because Oscars and BAFTAs don't happen. No awards. Nope. $40,000 at the box office. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it does get it does get pretty good reviews. And what actually surprised me is I looked over at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And it has a 77% fresh rating from the critics. Not bad. 46 from Ouch. the audience. Really? Wow. And I'm wondering it's because of the sprawling nature of the movie. Yeah. And in that it doesn't... It, I mean, I guess... 
I don't want to say it doesn't have a sense of direction because I think it's it is very carefully laid out. But I think to I think to the casual viewer, you might be like, "What? Where's the plot? Like, yeah. what's going on?" And so, that, and like, as a person, like I say, I, I joked earlier about it being Days of Confused, but that's why I like Days of Confused because yeah. it was a snapshot of that final day of school in 1970, whatever. And this is kind of that; it's a snapshot of, of a few, you know, years of this guy's life and and what he's going through. And and uh, you know, I appreciate that. I, I just think it's it's wild that uh, this that's a that's a very disparate. Uh, uh, for the critics to be so yeah. positive and the audience to not be. Well, I mean, that happens sure, now sure. with movies when they have women in them. But more often uh, you see where the audience likes a movie a lot more than the critics. It's rare you see where the critics like the movie a lot more than the audience. That happens when movies have women. Yes. Um, in, in prominent in, in roles. In prominent roles. Or, and then the flip... Or persons of color, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And then the flip side happens when um, movies are big, loud, dumb action movies. Yeah. That obviously aren't good, but yes, enjoyable. But are entertaining, yeah. absolutely. Uh, fuck audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no, it does, it does. And when I saw this, I, I looked at this rating before I watched it, and I thought, oh, this is going to be stuffy. Mm. So I'm really glad it wasn't. No, absolutely not. Uh, but Variety said in their review, it remains a pleasure to spend time in the presence of these characters. And yeah. a third volume, perhaps focused on Bill's entrance into the British film industry, would hardly be unwelcome. Absolutely, like yeah. Too. I would love to see that. I mean, yeah. Borman's got a few more years, dude. Like, uh, make one more movie. I hope so. The guy is 87 years old. Get to it. Michael Caine's still alive. Cast him. So you. I just want to show you, I just want to show you a picture. This is, so John Boardman actually wrote a film as, as recent as last year, starring Mel Gibson and Sean Penn called The Professor and the Madman. Wow. I just want you to look, that is a real movie that came out last year that I have never heard of. Wow. And they've got such prominent mustaches. Yep. So here's the thing. Do you want to know what this movie's about? What? <laughs> it's about the... Professor James Murray, Mel Gibson, begins work compiling words for the first edition of the Oxford English Dictionary wow. in the mid-19th century and receives over 10,000 entries from a patient at Broadmoor Criminal Lunatic Asylum, Dr. William Minor, played by Sean Penn. So well, it's, about the, it's about how they came up with the Oxford English Dictionary. That's crazy. That is a wild... That is, <laughs> I just think it's wild that he made a movie about that. Had to be made, I guess. Now I'm going to do my war picture. I'm going to do uh, another war picture. I'm going to do Zardoz and then the dictionary flick. Absolutely. Dick flick, as they call it for short. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I got, man. So yep. um, what do you think? Queen and country? What are you saying? Perfectly enjoyable film. Uh, I, I think it's neat because how many movies are about this era in Britain, like this specifically post-war and military service? Like, you know, so much of it is dedicated to the war itself. It's interesting to see something about soldiers serving after the war. Guys that had, like, grown up and lived through it and, and now we're in the military. So, yeah, overall, it's a, it's a solid movie. I mean, you know. It's nothing, I wouldn't say it's the most exceptional movie ever made, but I enjoyed it. And if you liked Hope and Glory, it's a cool uh, follow-up. Yeah. And highly recommend it. And like I say, I'm definitely down for a third movie about John Borman's uh, film career. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, if John Borman is kind of at the reins, I'm, I'm good with a third movie. Because this is John Borman again. Um I mean, I, th I, th I think this is better than last week's movie. Yeah. Uh, Alfie was fine, but this yeah. is definitely a better, like a f more fully realized Absolutely. movie. Um, I also really like this movie, and I, I went in not sure how I would feel about this movie just because of the disparate ratings, too. Yeah. Uh, that threw me off a little bit. But it's good. It's very good. It's fun. Um, it's 
dark at times. The only, again, the only thing I come back to is the portrayal of the female roles is a little off. There's yeah. just, it's just a smidgen weird. Yeah. Um, I well, agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, I like it. I like Check it. it out. I wouldn't replace it. No. But it's good. It's good. Perfectly fine. Enjoy it. Now, Jason, next week we are continuing this journey. We're going to watch a remake next Ooh. week. We are going to watch a remake to a film we talked about, a David Lean film. Hmm. We are going to watch Great Expectations, the Ooh. 1998 version starring Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Were they in something else together? Uh, sure. I don't know. Oh, there's a 2011 Great Expectations as well. Not that one. No. Uh, notably directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, yeah, Vito so, Mama Tambien fame. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Gravity and... Uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. The best one, I yeah, think. absolutely. Um, so it'll be interesting because this movie wasn't super well received. But this is one where it's the opposite. The critics rating is kind of lowish and the audience rating is high. Oh, neat. So we'll see how that turns out. People love those two. Yeah. Yeah. Vaginal eggs. What? I'm goop. goop. I'm goop. Oh, Vaginal okay. eggs. Okay. I was really confused for a second. I was like, Ethan Hawke? <laughs> yeah, loves him. So we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but until then, you can follow Jason on the Twitter box. At Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Get it right. It means son of ugly. And I am an ugly, ugly tweeter. Wow. And if you want to, if you want to hear Jason talk about uh, just monarchy for, for days and days and days... DM me. Um, slide into my DMs. Slide into his dirty mouth and uh, <laughs> learn all about it. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can yep. find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Gunja. You can find us at our home base at ageofradio.org. Or if you want to type the whole thing, you can, type, you can go to ageofradio.org, click on shows and find us. Or you can go to ageofradio.org slash For Screen and Country. Age of Radio. Or you can find us on any uh, uh, podcast app that you happen to be using. Search us up. We're out there. Um, you can also email us. Shoot us an email for screenandcountry at gmail.com. Anything you want to say. You want advice? You want you want to you want to tell us we're wrong? You want to tell us we're right? We would love to hear anything, just anything. And we're always happy. Uh, I was happy to have a Twitter Twitter interaction this week where a person admonished me for my lack of historical knowledge, and I appreciated it because I I would rather be correct than right. You you did get bl- you got put on blast. I got put on your- blast, but I was deserving. And then he had very nice comments about me uh, uh, discussing the uh, 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 treaty and anti-treaty forces during the uh, crime, crime game, game episode. Yeah. So I appreciate it because it meant he many listened to it. It's like he dangled that carrot, yeah. and pulled it back a little bit, and then he gave you a cookie, and he made me feel like a man. <laughs> wow! There you go. There you go. So thank uh, you, thank you, anonymous Twitter user. <laughs> oh, I should have had it in front of me, but yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's going to do it. So, uh, Jason, I guess uh, we'll talk about Great Expectations 1998 next week. Almost the next year. Next week. Next week. <laughs> but until then, I just have one thing to say to you. Ooh. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Oh, Queen and Country! Oh, Queen and Country, that's why we march today.
this is Tony, the host of the Flix X-Ray podcast. Each week, I am joined by guests. Hey-oh. Hello. Yo. Why, hello there. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hello. And we have a roundtable discussion where we dig deep and X-Ray a bunch of our favorite films and some really terrible ones, too. We really like to go back and take a look at films that may be forgotten, maybe in the past, and still lovable films. If you want, you can follow us on all the major platforms, iTunes, Google, Stitcher. If you want to find out more, you can find us online at www.flixxray.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram if you want to reach out to us. Good night, Internet.